Welcome to Joiners with Tim and Danny, where we tumble down Hospitality Hill. It's been a minute, Tim. It's been a minute. When's the last time you recorded? I think I think it's got to be two weeks ago, right? Yeah. However, the podcast has remained on schedule. The train has stayed on the track. It has. Every Monday at 6 a.m. 6 a.m., except that, for that one that, that Podbean messed up and... The one that got published away. Published a little bit late. Yeah, they sure did. We got, I, I fielded probably two dozen emails, a thousand phone calls. Asking, <laughs> where, where is it? So you call this hospitality? <laughs> you're, you're, Inconsistent complaints. Where is my free content? Yeah. Episode nine. You guys have eight in a row, but this ninth is just off the track. It was Lily's? It was the nine bar episode? That I think it was, <laughs> no, I think it actually was Jonathan's, right? Oh, yeah. Ten. Um, but yeah, where have you been at? Uh, well, I got in late last night. I was out in New York for the U.S. Open. I caught the last day of round one and the first day of round two. That's awesome. Did you see Serena while you were there? I just saw her on the practice court. It's kind of uh, cooler in a way. Yeah, I, I opted not to do the Ash tickets this year. Um, I just got grounds passes, which is cool because it lets you just walk around the grounds and check in on different matches. It's a lot more informal, and they're smaller courts. So you can get closer to the players. Yeah, I watched some doubles, which was cool. Oh, nice! I was a doubles player as a young boy. Yeah, as a young <laughs> lad. College. But uh, I do like to watch the doubles; it's more exciting. Huh, that's interesting. And then, so who else did you see practice? Uh, I saw Curios. And how did like Curios's practice compare to Serena's? Um, a lot uh, more informal, I guess. A lot more relaxed. Hmm. I he's, guess that out checks there. out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it matches kind of their intensity. Like Curios, like pulls a big crowd even on the practice courts he's hmm. like i think he's like the 23rd seed or something he's yeah, pretty he low yeah. this year but uh but he's he just attracts the crowd he's like our generation's McEnroe. he throws fits on the court yeah which is weird that like McEnroe doesn't seem like a big fan of his <laughs> i know well yeah maybe it's too much of a reflection there's he a new, there's a new mac documentary coming out tomorrow on showtime return of the mac <laughs> return to return of the mac it's all about his return game <laughs> Well, anyway, nice, so I was yeah. out in New York. It was a very, tr- very quick trip. I flew up Tuesday morning and back Wednesday night, so I caught two days. Nice. I snuck in one good meal. I uh, went to the Commodore in Williamsburg. Cool. And uh, Union Pool for a couple drinks afterwards. Where did you guys stay? Stayed at the Hoxton in Williamsburg. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the Hoxton, uh, I got to hang out with the Lazy Bird crew last night. We were all working... Uh, an event for 21c hotel uh, which is downtown we were all tasked with making casamigos cocktails since they were the sponsor uh and i had put in a request for you know for cocktail needs ahead of time do they, do they what's the criteria is it like it just has to have casamigos yeah so as long as your drink has casamigos in it you know you're good to go they you get to pick which spirit from there yeah you ha- it had to be a tequila oh, okay um so i picked a reposado tequila and i i requested some lime juice some pineapple juice, uh, and some bitters. When I arrived, the lime juice that I had requested uh, ended up being Rose's Lime no. Cordial. <laughs> <laughs> I, I only know Rose's, I think, from like sneaking into my parents' liquor cabinet when yeah, I was a kid. Yeah, uh, it was... Which is, uh, it's, I guess it's like a famous mixer. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people would argue that Rose's belongs in a gimlet, like an OG gimlet, but gimlets today are mostly made, you know, during this cocktail renaissance with fresh lime juice, which is what I thought I was signing up for when I uh, requested lime juice. So was it just a miscommunication? Uh, Perhaps. I mean, (laughs) someone interpreted lime juice as Rose's lime cordial. Yeah. Did you just roll with it or? No. Well, I had to adjust. Um, Luckily, I was like batching on site so I could adjust a little bit. So... Basically, I added a little bit of water content. Um, I upped the bitters a little bit. It was tricky though because, like, I needed that lime flavor, but I didn't have like the yeah. right. Rose is like acid. more sweet than sour. Yeah, it's syrupy, but it still like has that citric acid, or you know whatever they're doing to create that acidic. Mm-hmm. You uh, asked Ronnie Kaplan; he could tell you break it down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, can I phone a friend? <laughs> Um, but yeah, so no, it ended up being a, a fine event, a lot of action, um, kind of a, a good night of hanging with industry people, but was it a comp- it was a competition? Yeah, it was a competition. Uh, who won? So Jesse won. Um, so Jesse Sexton, he used to be at Queen Mary 
and now he's at Berkshire Room. So he won overall. What um, was so his, what was his cocktail? He had a kind of a take on a uh, on a gin and tonic, presumably with tequila instead of gin. I would assume. Interesting. And he uh, there was like a house made tomato water that he used, and this drink will grace the twenty one C hotel menu for one year. So is it? Was it kind of savory kinda like, with that tomato water? Yeah, I actually didn't get to try it. Oh. I only tried, like, Lazy Bird and I traded cocktails, and Money Gun came around ahead of time with uh, pouring some sparkling for everyone, which was a very nice touch. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of, like, just in the zone doing my thing. Tomato water, I always think of the old ivory egg at Billy Sunday. Oh, yeah. All-time favorite cocktail. Yeah, you guys love that drink. It's the best. I haven't made it this summer, but it's, like, a good time to get some heirloom tomatoes and make tomato water. Yeah, it's definitely an out-there drink. Yeah. You got to help me find some Bacanora, though. That's, All like, right. the one thing that's... Let's do it. ...always missing. All right, cool. Well, that's kind of what I've been up to. It's nice that, uh, you know, we've been keeping busy, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, summer is coming to an end. But, yeah. Uh, well, we have a great interview this week. A uh, friend of both of ours, personal friend... Wade McElroy of, uh, well, he, I mean, he's he's kind of done it all in the hospitality industry as well. He uh, he graduated. He worked. He started working in college. He was working as a server um, for the Hilltop Restaurant Group. A Hillstone. Hillstone, right, right. Yeah. Sorry. And then uh, moved to New York and helped open the Standard Hotel. Yeah. And uh, saw a little more opportunity in Chicago. Moved here. And I think yeah, and I think just to go back for one second, the Standard seems to be where he really started to get an eye for interiors um mm-hmm. that's that seemed to be like a major inspirational point right. that was a roman and williams design yeah. spot he worked at another roman and williams spot the dutch in new york um so yeah we we cover a lot we, t- we cover hospitality in general um a lot of bar stuff as well as interior design and uh will we started in the industry as a bartender and then kind of moved to the operations with his partner Jeff at Leisure Activities, but he also... Jeff a, Donahue. Jeff Donahue. Shout out to Jeff, another friend of the pod. Jeff, woo! Woo! And, uh, and yeah, so we, we've got a pretty good one with Wade. Uh, so without further ado, here's our conversation with Wade McElroy. So Wade, you've kind of done it all uh, in the hospitality industry. Yeah. I saw your, not to uh, conflict with our other sponsor, but I saw your uh, your ready to drink large format oh, yeah. cocktail on the Daddy shelf at Benny's yesterday. Yes, Benny's a Fox cool. truck going really well. Yeah, yeah, it looks it looks cool. I like the branding of it. Thank you. It's called Patio Punch, and it's you know it's a fun little project. We actually built. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, when all the bars were shut down, we kind of put our head into thinking about an idea that could be practical outside of the bars. And yeah, came up with Patio Punch, which has been a, an absolute treat to see grow. But, you know, it's winter's right around the corner. So patio season's coming to a close. So we have to have our eyes on you know, California and Florida and <laughs> yeah. Arizona, those places where... Yeah. But, but you can drink them summer, indoors if you, if you want to, right? You certainly can. <laughs> but it's best enjoyed outdoors, I Wait, think. so how many Every markets are you guys in now? We're in six markets now. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it's it's been a lot of fun. It's been cool to see the organic growth of it, but it's, it's something that's entirely new to us, you know? Yeah. So appreciate our partners at CH who've been huge in, in bringing it to life and... You know, yeah, it's it's been a hoot. And is that you and Jeff? Jeff and I are both involved in that. Okay, know, cool. CH and Tremaine, their team over there. Nice. And Jeff I is saw Wade's partner at Leisure Activities. He, he Jeff is Donahue. Yes. Jeff Donahue. Yes, business partner. Yes, and he also VP of operations at Heisler Hospitality. Oh, right. partners of mine as well. Um, but yeah, so I saw two flavors. Are there more flavors out there? No, we just kind of wanted to get it out there in the market this year and see how people responded to the two flavors. I cool. think now that you know we've seen a, most of a summer and seen what the, the reception has been, which has been overwhelmingly positive, I think the idea is to, to look on to 2023 and focus the, the brain growth on next season. Yeah. Um, is there one that has been more popular than the other? No, they've actually been almost 50 hmm. 50 entirely the ginger grapefruit and the spicy watermelon, which I think the ginger grapefruit has a, a slight edge. 
um, but they've been near 50-50, which has been great. That's cool. People are probably just picking up both. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, a lot of people bringing them to family barbecues, a lot of boating, yeah. you know, because no, no glass. Yeah, I always smell them on Tim's breath. So yeah. I think they're pretty it's successful. Good for that morning walk. <laughs> I'm, I'm slapping the bag. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, yeah, tell us about how you and Jeff met and how you became partners. So Jeff and I met uh, actually opening up Barrel House Flat, which is where I met a lot of people in Chicago. Um, it was my first job when I moved here from New York. So Jeff was a bartender there. I was a bartender there. He's just coming off the aviary, but... We both had, you know, kind of a similar approach to, to bartending, like really convivial and knowledgeable, but in, in kind of a, an unassuming and unpretentious way. You know, that's the way we always gravitated towards giving style. And I feel like, you know, you come from that same school, Danny. Um, and I so, loved Barrel House. Yeah, Barrel House was great. And that, that opening team there, there was just so many people that we, we worked with for years and years. It was a very talented opening with. team for sure. Yeah, how did and, they how did they find you guys? I just applied. Really? Yeah. I mean, I was fresh from New York, trying how to did? figure out where to land. Couldn't get a job with Danny, so <laughs> Danny. Know, it's... Uh, what? So that was that was a f- your intro to Heisler, right? My that intro was... to Heisler was with Trencherman, actually. Yeah, oh, yeah I was Heisler. on the the opening team. Oh, it I was... thought Kevin had something to do with Barrel House. Am no, it was Ben that? Ben Lurie and Ben Pritzker oh, yeah. uh, and Stephen Cole uh, yeah. opened that up. Greg Butera was the bar manager. It was a great team. We had a, a ton of fun, but it was a four a.m. Yeah, know, that's. Oh, I remember the, the in that area especially. I remember getting that porchetta sandwich uh, late oh. night. It was. I still think about that sandwich. That's one of the best sandwiches. It was really, really it good. Was so good. Um, but yeah, it was such a cool place to be able to go to a late night cocktail. But I think there weren't, there was no such thing uh, ties, until Barrel House. Four, Danny. <laughs> yeah. But like a, tr- a proper craft cocktail place that was open late night was a really cool idea. And uh, yeah, I remember just having a lot of great memories over there. And the team was yeah just so deep. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and you know we all we all had a lot of fun together, and there was a lot of creativity. You know, but it was also really hard. We were doing over 100 cocktails on the menu. It was, oh, wow. you know, a full volume bar. So, you know, we did that menu with a full house, with a rocking Friday night in Lincoln Park. Yeah, I think I may have stolen one of the opening uh, menus. It like was epic, and it made us all incredibly good bartenders, yeah, for, for sure. sure. But, you know, I think that whole experience of doing menus that big and you know, being in that comfortable service, we realized that's where kind of the idea for Sportsman's Club kind of seated was how do we do this in a neighborhood bar way where, you know, you know, you can get any cocktail you want at any time, but it's not presented that way. Most people are drinking high life or taking shots or, yeah, or both or both low low lives, just being low lives. Yeah. I mean, so you and Jeff, met there and then how long after meeting did you know you wanted to do something together like how, well, how we started shortly? doing like some little pop-ups we actually did a pop-up at like heritage uh the coffee shop when the original spot on the original uh, which like nathan michael did a little logo design who ultimately did like the sportsman's club opening design and is now designing restaurants um we just we we kind of knew you know I had a, a more creative development background. Jeff had a management background. We had a similar desire to do one of these kind of spaces, these neighborhood bars that just like really where we could hang our hat, a place where we wanted to hang out and be, and where we thought other people like us would want to hang out and be. Um, I love the vibe in Sportsman's. Yeah. What. Uh... What did it look like coming in? Was it kind of set up for that? Did you have your eye on that spot? No, the spot was actually introduced to us by by Matt Eisler. Um, you know, after we had kind of begun a, to develop a close relationship with Kevin and Matt, we, you know, told him our idea for what we wanted to do with a bar, if we were going to do a bar. And he's like, I've got the the perfect space. How long had it been sitting there? Years. Um, it was a it was a Polish bar called Sportsman's Club, um, but 
you know, you had to knock on the front door to get in. There was a heavy gate. The backyard, which we know and love, was completely overgrown. I, I even know, you know, some friends of mine who went and saw the space before we ended up getting it. And hmm. are they kicking themselves? Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Do you call and, I mean, them that every building, day to rub it in? Know, yeah, that building was for sale for a long time. I just think that that no one really saw the potential in it because the bar itself was so tiny. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Did Heisler buy the building? No, we worked with someone who bought uh, the building. But it's but it it turned out you know Jeff and I really liked it because we saw it as a place where the two of us could just run it you know with a few other people yeah mm-hmm. and with the potential of breaking out into the backyard and having that spill space for the Chicago summertime yeah the backyard is home to a lot of amazing food collaborations um, what have you who have you guys had in this summer Ugh, a bunch. Um, had Kasama, we just had Buff House. Um, what I'm really looking forward to coming up is JP Graziano. Oh, oh that's nice. cool. Didn't you have Zoe? Yeah, Zoe was there. Uh, Jeff and Jude's kicked it off. Um, I mean, every year, John Mannion and El Che has been there every year. He he grills tomahawk steaks, makes steak sandwiches. <laughs> the best. I know he's been a guest on the pod before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it kind of got me thinking when you mentioned the small space up front. A lot of the city's kind of most successful cocktail bars have that kind of broken up space. Like even the Violet Hour with the curtain. I mean, we obviously have the back room at Scofflaw. You guys have the, it's like a smaller space on the inside, big space in the back. Like DeVille had the smaller space up front, bigger space in the back. I think it's really important for... Whistler's got one. Yeah, the Whistler. But is it, how does that work? I'm asking you guys, like what... Is there's usually a bar in the back. Is that just for when there's high volume? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like you just can't rely on having like a giant open space be busy all the time, and it just helps to like keep it intimate and uh, achieve that hospitality that Wade was referencing before, where it's like super convivial and like you're really making those connections with your regulars. Um, and I think just like the intimate space helps that i don't know and i also think like you know kind of like the frank lloyd ride little doors into big open spaces it kind of makes a place that can expand feel intimate immediately when you're walking into it mm-hmm. and you know automatically comfortable like a neighborhood spot yeah but you know then when you hit a, a surplus of people there's room to grow but you know you want it to feel good at the beginning of the night when there's just a couple people sitting yep. at the bar <clears throat> you know, just as good as it feels when it's Friday night and it's packed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, you grow into it. You, you think that it's going to go well, you hope it's going to go well. And sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. Um, but those smaller space, at least for us, offered us an opportunity to, you know, be the bartenders, be the managers, be, be kind of all seeing in that space and be able to do what we love to do behind the bar um, but also oversee the business, you know? Yeah. I think, yeah, operationally, it makes it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Similar to what Ethan was talking about with Hermosa, like when you're opening and you're kind of the only one doing most of the things, uh, it helps that the space isn't overwhelming. Um, so Wade, you came to, Chi- no, you came to Chicago by way of New York, New York, yeah. and you went to New York by way of Arizona where you grew up and went to college. Mm-hmm. Did you bartend in college at all? I actually did. I were through college. I worked for Hillstone Restaurant Group, Houston's uh, restaurant. The best, great, you know, really well-known restaurant. I actually started in the service bar, so my job was like my first job was being in a box, making cocktails for the floor. Hmm. You know, no guest interaction at all. Ultimately moved, you know, to being a bar back, and then worked on the floor there. But I worked. I worked there all four years of college i wow. just that's good training Were you banking the best ribs not really i was interning for free i really wanted to work in <laughs> oh, sports really? so <laughs> so at that point i was you know interning and working at night and going to school and all that and so busy guy trying and then uh you know Still i graduated busy. i never really looked at hospitality you know at that point in my life as something that would would be my life what was your major um i studied sociology oh yeah, sociology, it's actually at ASU, it's called a Bachelor of Interdisciplinary Studies with Sociology and Mass Communication. Hmm. Yeah, you're still so communicating to this day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really at ASU, I learned how to how to network and, and how to throw parties and, yeah. and, you know, how to show people a good time. And that's, 
you know, and I made lifelong friendships. I had an absolute blast, you know. While I may not do much with my with my degree from Arizona State, I had an absolute blast going there. And how did you land on New York? What was the goal in going there? I actually took a sales job there once I graduated college. And, you know, I, I landed and I was pounding the phones, like old, like high volume sales calls. And I absolutely hated it. Um, <laughs> I loved New York. I loved being in New York, but I hated this job that I was doing. What yeah. were you selling? Uh, online advertising. You know, it was a, a web-based startup. Um, you know, they said I was too nice. And I wasn't aggressive <laughs> enough. Get to the point, make yeah. the sale. Yeah. Um, which, you know, like that, that ultimately that was my style. And I wanted to find a way to leave this job and stay in New York. So hospitality, I was like, oh, I have this four years of experience at this great restaurant. I'll probably be able to get a job somewhere here in New York. And I started applying at places and went to a giant open call at the Standard Hotel, uh, which hadn't yet opened. And it turns out that the AGM, who's still a great friend of mine named Dan Reinecke, he owns uh, Loma Brewing in California, uh, was the AGM he had come up in the Hillstone Management Training Program. Oh, yeah. So he knew how rigorous that training was, and he took a shot on me and gave me a job serving on the floor there. And, you know, there's a guy named Jay Zimmerman, who was the bar manager, who now has basic in Brooklyn, just an incredible bartender. Uh, he had brought on all these bartenders from all over the city, people that worked at Freeman's and Smith and Mills, these like really cool places. Um, and they all worked a few days at the standard. And that was kind of my first introduction to one. It was a Roman and Williams design space. Incredible hotel. That had to be an early project for them. Yeah, two, it was, you know, everyone I was working with was so cool. Um, you know, writers, actors, um, comedians. It's just... Anyone these... who's made it since? I mean, made it in a myriad of different ways. Yeah. None really is as actors or actresses, but, you know, I keep up with a lot of people I worked with then, and, and they're all kind of killing it. It was just such a... You know, for me in my formative years in my early 20s, such a cool way to get introduced to New York City and to hospitality in New York City. Yeah. Did you live in Manhattan? I did. I lived in like a sty town, this like big, I had like four roommates. It was like a big place kind of in like on the east side, like right above the East Village. Um, but yeah, I just absolutely fell in love. You know, I really liked the the all the bartenders that they had hired, so... Jay recommended some books for me that I bought. I started studying, you know, with ambitions of moving behind that bar. I knew I had the the practical skills from yeah. Houston's, you know. What were the, like, do you remember any of the books that made it a, a big impression on you? I remember the first books that I got. Imbibe by David Wondrick was definitely the first book. You know, that was 2008, 2009 yeah. in New York, so... This is like right when Milk and Honey and Death and Company and, and you know, all those places were really on their, their come up, you know, where pre-prohibition was the name of the game. Yeah. Um, and so I steeped myself in kind of the classics, you know, the, the Jerry Thomas line, which like was was what everyone was kind of doing yeah. there at that time. What was the drink program like at the Standard? Really straightforward. A guy named Rainlove put it all together. He's a, a great beverage manager. The most popular drink was called the Penny Drop. There was Penny Floors that Roman and Williams did. Okay. They were awesome. But it was a Moscow meal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's, uh, was just it make it? Yeah. yeah. Make it nice. Yeah. Just like with fresh ginger syrup. So, you know, it really snaps. Yeah. That's cool. But nothing complicated. It was more about the vibe and the people that were there. You know, it, it just like something inside of me was just ignited. I had like, and at, at that point it was, you know, the design aspect of it, the hospitality aspect of it, the, the networking and the creativity kind of all came together and started to really make sense to me as a, as a long-term career. Yeah. You know, so even if I wasn't always going to be behind the bar, you know, being behind the bar and cementing myself there could lead to so many cool new things. So how long were you in New York? For about four years. And then, years. so then what brought you to Chicago? So I was working at a great place in New York called The Dutch uh, under a chef named Andrew Carmelini. Just 
incredible. I was on the opening team. It was another Roman and Williams design space, which as Tim knows, like my favorites. You were spoiled. I was, I really was, you know, and like, I I just feel so, so bothered looking back that I hadn't found photography at that point yet. Yeah. I don't like, I don't have a lot of photos to remember those times specifically, which bums me out. Um, That's probably, those spots are probably in the book though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, and, and it's, you know, now I feel like it's a lot of music that I'll hear from that time that brings me back there more than photos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was visiting, my best friend was in law school here, just about to graduate. I had made a few other friends here in Chicago. Um, we had visited a few times and at that point, you know, the Violet Hour was doing its thing. Sable was doing its thing. Y'all at the Whistler were doing your thing, but that was, that was kind of mostly Yeah, that was cocktail wise. Ouija's. So there was opportunity. Oh yeah, Ouija's. And I, you know, I've been pretty steeped in it for a while in New York at that point. So I knew what was coming. You know, I knew that this thing was going to blow up, that it was going to be huge here, just like it is in New York. And my ambitions were to open a bar. And I think I could have got there in New York. It would have taken more time. And but just quite honestly, the cost of living in New York yeah. is, is cumbersome. And I had a good network of friends here. Um, so I just jumped in and said, I'm going to move to Chicago with hopes to open a bar in Chicago to kind of bring the knowledge that I had that I'd gained in New York and kind of hopefully make a splash pretty quickly in Chicago yeah. uh, in the cocktail world. And your friends that were here, were they from school? From ASU. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. He's still my best friend and my lawyer. I was just going to say, I well, think we know I Andrew. Know. Yeah. Andrew. Yeah. 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 Shout out Andrew. Shout out Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Andrew. Other than the time he may have given my kids a uh, hand, foot, and mouth disease. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't it? Like we, I ran into him He's at a Target. Love that this yeah, is it's... what comes up. On this <laughs> no, I ran into him. It was. I think it was a wild coincidence just coming around the city. But I ran into him at Target. Like one of his kids had it, and I think we just had our one kid at the time. And then like. Sure enough, Arthur got it. I like, mean, right that's what you there. get for licking his kid's <laughs> yeah. foot. Yeah. yeah. When I your mean, kid when I... licks his kid, when <laughs> yeah. you go there and lick his no, foot. No, it really had nothing to do with him, but it was like funny timing because I had just seen him and just talked to him about it. And I was like trying to empathize, like, well, yeah. that's not rough to go through that. And then sure enough, like the next week, that's what we were going through. Um, Tough go with those kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you guys can't relate. So, what? So, leisure activity is that. Um, did you guys start that for sportsmen's or is that something you guys? Yeah. I mean, after? like, you know, that was when we, we like kind of felt like we needed a brand around ourselves and like, just to be completely candid, we haven't really like pushed, you know, leisure activities. It's what we kind of called our little company, which is like literally just Jeff and I. Yeah. Um, but I think you guys, well, Tim's had... favorite video game was leisure suit, Larry. Yeah. So leisure suit Larry is a great one. <laughs> I've always just loved that word. I like the way it looks written out. So yeah, yeah. it's great. Nice logo too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you guys had essentially spent enough time in the industry to put together sort of a formula for how bars should operate. Um, what in that vein, what, uh, what would you say is part of the recipe for a successful bar? Well, I think it like, as, as we all know, it all starts with the people that you work with, um, you know, and also being partners with Kevin Heisner, who's a brilliant designer building spaces that are timeless and accessible and not overwhelming and, you know, have an outlook of 10 years down the road instead of just that one year looking forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting um, to see like a lot. Kevin's always ahead of the game and things do catch up. But he's always on to something else. Like he, you'll, if you watch Kevin's designs, the market kind of catches up with that aesthetic. But he's by that time he's already on to something else. He's and I think really you see that. Like, and I think you see that in his art that he pursues. Mm-hmm. And you know, I feel like the design is is almost he's able to get out there with the art, and his design is naturally just kind of followed through um, on that creative trajectory. But you know, where we started with Sportsman's Club. That was a beautiful space already. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it definitely had been, that back bar was there. It had definitely been forgotten by time, but the bones were all, you know, the terrazzo floors were there. The back bar was there. The big bar was there. You know, it just needed needed some love and needed to be brought up to the, you know, 
into the conditions where we could serve cocktails and where we could, you know, it's a, it's a 120 year old building. So mm-hmm. how does sportsman's of today compare to how it was when you first opened it? I honestly think it's today the best it's ever been, you know? Um, and that's, that's, I'm going to shout out DJ Dodd, who's the, the GM and bar manager over there. He's just such a dynamic individual and, and we've had a lot of great, bar managers there in the past and I feel like you know from us on like the people behind that bar are the ones that make that place be able to stand the test of time and DJ's just done such an awesome job with capturing you know that fun again there yeah so it's obviously been a long few years for all of us but it feels like the wave over there is just always good you yeah, know, you catch yeah. it and it's always a fun ride. Yeah. And to your uh, point about building, starting with the people and a good team, you've had some really, really good uh, bartenders come through there. Mm-hmm. Or Austin Skiles back in the day. Yeah, Austin with us at Barrel House. And, you know, a lot of these, the whole idea when we opened Sportsman's Club originally, you know, we did the four cocktails, changed every day. The bartenders would write them. Most of the people we had worked part-time just one or two nights and worked at a a different cocktail bar in town, but just wanted a night to, you know, do some creative shit and let loose and and slang some high lifes and see some industry friends. And it was always, you know, good tips and a good time. And the music was always good, which... It was cash only at the time, I remember. It was cash only, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we've we've gone past that now. I still panic every time I go. I'm like, shit, do I have cash? I have to remember. (laughs) I mean, Pete was there since almost the beginning. He just 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 had his last night. finished up. Definitely, like, Pete and Austin were there for a long time. Stephen Cole, who we worked with at Barrel House. I mean, just, you know, over the years, just so many great folks. Because, you know, it's a a fun bar to work at. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I think anyone who knows how to bartend can walk in there and work. Yeah. What's the craziest story that comes to mind with sports from, from sporties? Yeah. I don't, you know, I like, I think that we've been so fortunate with our, with our crowd that we've had over there over the years. It's always a good crew. There's like nice dogs hanging out in the backyard. Yeah. I like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily look back and, and can't really think of any like crazy moments that were, were untenable. You know, I mostly look back or like funny, you know, yeah, like Laura's... I mostly look back and think of like some of the moments where I knew that we had something special. You know, yeah. I remember a night early on, it was the first time that we had ever recorded a wheel to reel and Ben Fastman was, was recording the reel and you know the backyard had just opened for the first time the room was sweaty like everyone was dancing and everyone was having so much fun and that room was like packed but like everybody was smiling and i just like remember at that moment i still look back to it all the time you know just like swelling up with like wow this is like you know this is what we dreamed of it's working you know like this is like this feels like what we wanted it to feel like in here. You know, the music is making everybody move. Like the drinks are are flowing. The bartenders are having fun. The people are having fun. That was, you know, and I think that you talk about that kind of formula, right? That of making bars. I think that's kind of distilled the the essence of it. It's good music. It's good people. Yeah. It's, I remember the know. first time going to Sporties, I walked in and I was like, this is, this is my vibe. Everyone seems cool. I, was able to snag a table, play some checkers, have a high life. It was just, it was low key, but still like a really good energy. There were people in there, wasn't overly packed. It was just a good vibe. And yeah. I feel like the music plays a huge role in that. And I think that's something that's like run through all of our spaces. Um, you know, have a well curated playlist and good tunes. Yeah. Speaking of which, a stereo music kills it. Was that yeah. the next spot after Sportsman's that you guys That opened? was the next spot after Sportsman's was a stereo, another partnership with Heisler. You know, we had ambitions of like really celebrating Latin American spirits. Um, yeah, I love the cocktail formula. Yeah, it's I mean, kind it's of as simple as it gets. Swap it's your spirits. Spirits, you know, fresh fruit handled in a really delicate way with lime acidity. We've never, we've actually never had lemons 
Hmm. Oh, really? Stereo. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Even when lime prices like even when lime, Yeah, even when there was the, the lime moment, we, yeah. we kept strong. Wow, that's cool. Man, I yeah. lived on the uh, takeout cocktails during early on the pandemic. I was picking up the breezy on the reg. Yeah, that was a fun. That home. was fun. But yeah, like music, once again, we worked with Uncanned on both of those projects. And music was going to play a big role in that you know we wanted kind of the heartbeat of a stereo to be this vintage latin vinyl collection and we knew in order to do that we needed to have some real music savvy people involved and we knew that we needed to dedicate budget specifically every month mm-hmm. is it still joe and scotty no no now now we have a one of our employees mouse who's incredible well sorry so is uncan still them i to just i don't yeah, I'm not know. sure. Yeah, it's, it's I know been, Joe it's been a long time. Like, yeah, it's been a long happened. time since I've. As far as I know, yes. Yeah, um, they are still all involved with Uncanned. And then that was the first. So you introduced day service with coffee, right? At uh, we stereo. did, and like honestly, we opened up a stereo in late summer. So you know, at a stereo, the the doors open up, the indoor outdoors, the whole vibe. Yeah. We went right into our first winter before we had really had a chance to to gain any momentum at all. And that first winter was was really hard. Yeah. You know, we were like, what do, are we just like, what are we missing here? We were doing the coffee, so we were open, Yeah. you know, from early in the morning to late at night. Uh, we just hadn't really, you know, we had this ambition of doing this all-day bar but what we realized is that like people didn't really want the coffee; they wanted you know cocktails at eleven. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so ultimately, you know, we found our our rhythm. We started opening at noon and just focusing on the drinks and like still being an all day bar, but you know not, but continuing to make the drinks the focus rather than you know trying to push a coffee program. And the concept has legs as a brand. Now it's, uh, you guys are expanding. We are, yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's a really fun energy in that space. And that's like, like I said, I think all thanks to a, a great design by Kevin, uh, but also that vintage Latin record collection. I mean, that, that music pushes that place forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having the, the bartenders flipping those records during service, even when it's cranked, is. You know, it takes a lot and it takes a lot of dedication and the bartenders getting to know all those records and, and being familiar enough to snag, you know, one record out of a collection of 250 and know that it's going to fit the vibe. Yeah. So do you I mean, you know, another bar that comes to mind, iconic bar in the city is Big Star. Mm-hmm. Similarly, a bar that can be accessed on all sides. Similarly, originally, mm-hmm. at least playing vinyl records being flipped during service. Was, did that play any role in the formation of a stereo? Did that was that an influence or subconscious? Maybe in the back of our minds, you know, I don't, I don't think we really <clears throat> remember talking too much about it. I think that the the shape of the actual bar was really dictated by the space that we got. We got this triangle space, <laughs> yeah, that we we knew was super cool, but we just like you know really trying to think about how we could activate a heavy service. Will you do the triangle design shape in the future ones? I mean, if we have a triangle building, you know. Okay, but the bar, that bar is not now. I feel like, like it's more about, like, a bar mimicking the shape of the space. I yeah. feel like that's, it's it's not so much just an island bar. It's really, you know, trying to find spaces that have a unique aspect to them and fitting the bar. Yeah. Know, with the single pour concrete bar. It's almost like the bow of a boat. Right. You can reach all the way out towards the corner. And And it allows us, you know, a big part of the places that we do, we do mostly bar service only, you know, so it's mostly the bartenders serving everybody. People walk up to the bar and with a a middle bar design that just gives every side access to a bartender. Mm -hmm. I think the bathrooms at Asterio also kind of started that trend of having a photographable bathroom those mirror tiled walls those disco ball yeah disco ball wall yeah those are fun (laughs) that was just a crazy idea yeah just worked out yeah so how did you conceive the original bev program at Asterio? uh we worked with our our two opening managers and just like like honestly at that point we had taken a few trips down to oaxaca we knew that we wanted to really focus on high quality, you know, high quality spirits. Um, 
we knew that cocktails were going to be the biggest mover, you know, and that like building a, a very unique spirits program was something that we could do over time yeah. and didn't need to launch into, you know, and we really based it on the things that, that had a great story to tell and what made us excited, you know, from a tasting perspective and, you know, which spirits had really unique identity and identifiable identity from the other ones that are on, on the back bar. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> is Mezcal like the biggest selling Estereo product? Yeah. The, the best selling category. I yeah. Guess. So the best selling drinks are the Mezcal and the tequila drinks. Um, the breezy, our house drink, which is Yerba Mate, Falernum and Lime with kind of a choose your own adventure spirit. Um, those all, all are, are the biggest movers, but yeah, the Mezcal cocktail is our, our biggest seller. Yeah. Um, of all the spirits that you have interacted with over time, do you have a favorite? I Mezcal for me, it's definitely the one that like, if, if I, you know, I don't drink too often, but if I do, and I'm going to drink spirits, it's typically Mezcal. Yeah. Same. Mm. <laughs> I just think, you know, having visited a few times, I think that there's, it's a spirit that is just so unique from bottle to bottle. And you know, what kind of work and what kind of energy went into producing that bottle. And you know exactly who those people are that did it. And I, I think there's something really meaningful about that in, in a, in a spirit that you can give your money to and consume, you know, that, that can push back towards those incredible communities and push those traditions forward. Yeah. <clears throat> well said. This podcast is brought to you by Geneva. Danny, what is Geneva? Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked. Geneva is a European spirit with a wide range of flavors and lots of personality. It always uses malt spirit and juniper and other botanicals, so some would place it somewhere between gin and whiskey. It can be floral and bright like gin or round and malty like whiskey. Whatever your preference, there's a Geneva out there for you. Even me? Even you, Tim. This campaign is financed with aid from the European Union. So Wade, you're an incredible photographer and you've turned it into part of your career. I remember back in the day you would you'd just show up to a party with a camera around your neck and now you're getting like high profile photography gigs. How has that journey been for you? I mean, it's it's honestly been one of the one of the most exciting and fulfilling aspects of of my life and you know, I'm super thankful for the bars for for even kind of introducing me to that world because you know when we open these places it, instagram still has its importance but you know coming up with content constantly mm -hmm. um which i know is still a huge part of of really all of these different businesses you know someone had to do it someone had to shoot photos someone had to, to post on social media and I had had a camera in college and I love shooting photos and I, and I caught cool frames and I thought I'd, I had that, you know, I thought that I could spot, you know, I thought I could spot cool frames, but just having the ability, you know, having a reason to photograph all the time, which was social media for these bars. Like one really got me into all the different design aspects that we find in spaces and all the little touches that you may just glance over, but are really, really cool and meaningful to the space and, and to the aesthetic. Um, but also I was able to, to, you know, storytell through these photos and document the experience that we were having over these years mm -hmm. with these spaces. And, you know, as I started picking up a camera and just shooting more and more, I just absolutely, it's just something that hasn't stopped for me. I, what's your favorite format to shoot on? I mean, I shoot digital and I, you know, that's what I started on. And I, I have ambitions to shoot film, but I'll be honest, I still, you know, I rely on my eye a lot. And I think that as a, as a professional photographer, I'd, I've advanced a lot, but you know, I'm completely self-taught and I feel like I'm still learning a lot about how to handle these machines and getting better at it, mm -hmm. you know, without relying on editing and things like that. So what's your equipment? Uh, I shoot with a Sony A7R. Um, I have a few lenses that I that I always have with me when I can. A 24-70 G Master. 
uh, zoom lens, and I love the, a 50 millimeter prime lens that I love shooting portraiture with. Um, but those are the two I almost always carry around with me. But you know, really getting into the gear, I'm I'm just kind of starting to dive into that stuff as yeah. as photography has become more and more a part of my professional life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you offering to shoot both of our portraits. Uh, <laughs> yeah. this podcast. Well, I was going to say, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that setting up a little video camera in here would be really nice. So you could share these, share little snippets of these moments with the people. You I know? like that. Yeah. Wade's going to help us with our social aspirations. <laughs> we can learn those. We need it. So that we're not socially asphyxiating. <laughs> yeah. So Wade, uh, who are you shooting for now? Are you you're working with Soho House? Working with Soho House. Um, I'm actually just starting with the Bonham Group, um, oh, cool. who has some beautiful, beautiful spaces. I just walked through their new one on Randolph yesterday. Yeah, I'm going to go to Spain. Yeah, going to go to Spain and shoot Casa Beatnik. Wow. Um, really working on putting a collection together with them. That's cool. Um, if you need a friend to tag along... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tim go. and I have traveled abroad together. Yeah, Turkey to Part Two. Wade and I almost got stuck in Turkey together. Yeah, pre- right at the start of the pandemic. We traveled to to Istanbul in March of 2020. Oh my so, god, like, yeah. really? But I mean, like, <laughs> honestly, just so thankful that we had that trip, though, yeah. because like, j- just having that access to travel right before travel yeah. just stopped was. And then we came home, and all three of us were at the meeting at Chef Special, where <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. oh shit, what's going to happen? Where and Tim Wade... and Wade gave COVID to the whole room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wade had the brilliant idea to start the Chicago Hospitality United fundraiser that Stock ran. Yeah, um, that was crazy. Wade and Jenna, another friend of the pod. And uh, we realized, I mean, Wade realized really early on, he's like, this is going to be most traumatizing for the people in the industry. We need to find out how to get money in the hands of these hospitality workers. So yeah, it was a bleak time. It was. And that was, you know, the fact that we were able to mobilize with stock and get those shirts together and raise. I think we, you know, we ultimately raised a little over $300,000. It's still going. Yeah. Yeah. The YWCA took it over, but there are still funds. The YWCA. Uh, the YWCA, uh, Young Women's CA, <laughs> it's, uh, that was, uh, we partnered with them to help distribute the cash because immediately everyone's like, oh, yeah, there people <laughs> assume it's nefarious when you're trying to do good. So people are like, oh, you're pocketing the cash. People aren't getting money. And it's like, no, yeah, that's a bad uh, assumption to make. Yeah. It was very it was It was pretty dislike, you know, you, you try no, to do a, something good. It's a and, classic. And people are like, you know. Yeah, yeah, when you own a business, you. you know what that's like yeah. when you yeah. try to like support a cause and then it's like, but you didn't do this call. Yeah, like, it just, I'm it just got, trying to like got flipped on us. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, but our I, but we, were able to, we were able to raise a lot of money and send out a lot yeah, of money. And yeah. that, that was, you know, meaningful to us. And, you know, it was, it was a tough time and it's been, it's been tough to bounce still tough, that yeah. in, this, yeah. in this industry. Yeah, it is. Uh, are there, what are some of the challenges you're still seeing outside of maybe staffing um, I mean, you know, we, I feel like that for the most part, we've, we've really kind of stabilized, but yeah, I mean, staffing across the, the entire industry is, is something that will continue to be hard. I think that rising costs in an industry that already has fairly thin margins will continue to, to make an impact. And I think, you know, the reality is that it's going to be tougher and tougher to be a single owner operator without the infrastructure of a, of a bigger company, um, which, you know, is incredibly unfortunate. Um, but I just think is, is kind of part and parcel with doing this business right now. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting time. I, I think that ultimately, the industry will be better for this kind of transformation it's experiencing right now, but I think there's going to be a lot of hurt in the process. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have TikToks for your businesses? We don't. Uh, I I think that we should. I yeah. I feel like that's it's been uh, a topic of conversation. Yeah, I I it's something you know, video is something that I really enjoy making, but haven't jumped fully into that world yet. And I feel like the people that are good at it are just so good at it. Yeah, it's a little daunting, and uh, it just seems like, you know, a kind of an annoying format, the TikTok. Yeah, I know. feel that I'm at an age where it would be <laughs> inappropriate for me to adopt it, and we'd need I, to see, have I, a see, I think person. it would be an important thing for the pod. I think yeah. that that's where you... <laughs> 
We could have a Tim talk. We no, need. I, mean, I think you should just have cameras in here recording each of the three of our faces. Is like, Arthur that old is, enough that to is run our TikTok? Yeah. Arthur, <laughs> he can do. He can do a viral. He can dance. definitely oh do it. God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's. Yeah. TikTok. What a wild world. I mean, it's in. it's a it's. It's, an, it's a very important tool for China to mine data on, <laughs> on the rest of the world. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Well, that's true, too. That's why it's it's so intuitive. That's why it knows you so well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't subscribe to TikTok. I just watch it when it migrates over to Instagram Reels. Yeah, it's yeah, like a true elder millennial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know my place. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so what's next, Wade? Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of, for me, it's really been a a big focus on, on photography and growing in that world, um, getting more access to, to shoot professionally and, and bigger and, and cooler environments. Um, and to really like chase that, that aspect of my life, it's, it's something that is really creatively fulfilling for me that I've found a way to, you know, to have it be part of my career and how I'd, I'd make money professionally. So I'm going to chase that down as much as well as, you know, I want to work with, with my partners at Heisler to grow some of our more established brands, um, into new markets. Cool. Big ambitions to, to grow outside of Chicago. Nice. Yeah. And I think, uh, you've done a good job of bringing your interest in fashion, art, design, all kind of together for a pretty holistic vision. How do you, you're always showing me cool things that are coming out. How do you stay on top of all that stuff? What are some of the publications you read or where do you look for, where, where do you find your inspiration? Honestly, a lot of like, you know, a, a lot of the Instagram that are basically tumblers these days that there's I a lot of Tumblr. good stuff. It's Tumblr was great. The same. It's not the same, but like, there's a lot of, I feel like a lot of Instagram handles that purport themselves like tumblers that are, are really cool. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, like I'm, I'm just pretty design obsessive. So I'm, I try to be pretty locked in on, on whatever's happening in any of the major markets from a design and development standpoint, you know, which is really just like reading, reading industry rags in those places for hospitality, things like eater, just to see what's happening and then finding largely those design companies that are building those spaces that catch my eye on social and following along with the work that they do. Yeah. Um, what are but, some of the trends that are on their way out? Like what, what's played out at this point as far as interior design or uh, maybe hospitality concepts? What, what are we at like critical mass on? Well, I, I feel like there's some things that like we're, we can never be on critical mass on. Like, I feel like you're never going to stop seeing griddle burger places. Cause you know, we we're especially here in Chicago because people order burgers. We Dan like and I meat. both have places yeah. that sell just astronomical amounts of burgers. Mm-hmm. Um, How long do you think neon's going to be around? Neon. Neon. Neon's here to stay, baby. Yeah, I just like I think 20s. neon. I think <laughs> I think people riffing on. I think neon because love it's it, something but... that's so steeped in classic dive bar culture that it's yeah. it's just something that'll that'll continue to stay on. Yeah, and I feel like people are like using artists like Neon Mike, some other people to like really push that medium a little further yeah. than just finding an old bush light neon that was thrown <laughs> out from the liquor store down the street. Yeah. Here's a question for you guys. Does neon have a place in the home? Uh, depends on how it's used, I guess. Michael Scott would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. I think that, you know, if you, you, I know that we're all fans of Tim at Dial M, and I feel like yeah. that he has tastefully introduced neon artwork. And I think, That's like, true. you know, like people like James Terrell and, you know, have, have done works that kind of touch on on that neon aspect that work in the house. Mm-hmm. What so some- yes, I think it's possible, but not in the, you know, it's been discussed in our home, but yeah. uh, not like the bush light sign in your bedroom. But I home. feel like you it's guys have such vibe. a lush house. You could like have like just a white stripe of neon behind one of your trees. And that would look really cool. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the trends that you see now just catching, catching steam and kind of building up? I, I think honestly, the most inspiring stuff that I'm seeing are people finding really cool old spaces and just leaning into what those spaces are, you know, keeping the builds really minimal and impactful, 
but just like seeking out cool architecture. And, you know, unfortunately Mm -hmm. we don't have as much of it in Chicago as you do in New York, where you can find these, these truly unique spaces and really just celebrate those cool spaces. Um, but that's, I'm a big sucker for timeless design. I think, you know, tried and true, well-made millwork, you know, lots of texture, simplicity. Like, I I think that there's a maximalist moment that's happening that people absolutely love, especially like younger folks. You'll see places that are just maxed out. Mm -hmm. I think Siren Betty does a good job of of that. Yeah. And, um, Africo is another maximalist. They do maximalist. I'm, I'm shooting with Danny with Bonham and they, you know, they are total maximalists, Mm -hmm. you know, pattern clashing. And like, they do it in such a, such an artful way with so much thought to, to that detail and to the texture and to the way that those patterns play with each other, you know, just steeped in some really strong design theory. Um, but you know, it's, it's keep, I liking, I'm liking how much people are using vintage and continuing to use vintage. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, finding ways to bring in vintage items into your bar and restaurant is, you know, hard because a lot of the times you need a lot of the same thing. Yeah. Um, but when you can make it happen, it's it's really cool. Speaking of critical mass, vintage dealers, man, there's a new one every day. And you see, like, some of these really rare pieces just getting cycled through. It's like, yeah. this week, this guy's got it. This They're selling it at this showroom this week. <laughs> I keep my eye on that stuff. I just hope that, that you know, like, which is, is cool. It means people are paying attention. Yeah. You know? And it gives us, as as people who, you know, love interior design and love collecting that kind of stuff, you know, more, more opportunity to gain it, Mm -hmm. which by the way, I'm ready to, yeah, just fully get rid of everything. The the purge is coming. Start again. You know, know. Um, like you max it out. I just want to restart. Same. I would love to do that. So Wade, when you, when you approach a new project, what's going through your mind? Where, what's, what's the most important thing? What's the first thing you do? And then how do things kind of fall into place from there? The first thing that goes through my mind when I'm approaching a new project is honestly, before any of the creative even starts turning is the, the realities of the business. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what are, what are the, the costs going to be? What is the upside going to be? What are the risks going to be? You know, I really like to kick the tires as much as I can on those aspects to make sure that, you know, we can do all that fun stuff, but it's, it's built on a base of operational stability because mm-hmm. otherwise you're just going to, you know, go in blind, fall in love with the space and might, you know, there might be a million faults with it, but if you just love the space so much, you make it work. And, and is that something you've learned through experience that you need to, to look at things maybe from a financial perspective and foundation first? Yeah. And I think, you know, when we getting into some of our, you know, first independent projects, I think that we were super excited about the spaces that we had and didn't take into account some of the more practical aspects of the business. Um, like, like we all know, food, food's very tough, a very tough piece of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, leading up into us opening our first places with food, we just had really focused on alcohol and we've learned a lot since then and and you know have grown as a organization with our food especially with the introduction of big kids with with ryan and mason but it still is is a very hard and and something that i i still won't claim to be an expert about i i still don't think i've i've completely you know solved that part of our businesses yeah the economics of a food program are difficult and it's like you referenced earlier being a part of a of a bigger group is kind of how you get that economy of scale um but when you're just like doing one-off things with food concepts it's just so it's so tough uh Mm -hmm. the staffing challenges and just like yeah labor relative to food sales it's just a a tough equation it really is and unless you're charging so much for food right unless and like as like danny and i both do neighborhood spots you know low-key spots we're not going to really be able to get away with charging a massive amount for the food that we sell Mm -hmm. um good value at at all your spots that but like that's you know something that we have to do to can to keep our patrons happy and and to stay at that neighborhood level. But 
that's not changing the fact that we're buying, you know, the same stuff that all those restaurants that are yeah, charging exactly. three times more are buying, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. and that's, you know, meeting the neighborhood in the middle and, and having people understand the cost of the things that we do. And that's mm -hmm. why with our businesses, we're transparent with P and L's and things like that with all the staff, because I don't think a lot of people realize how much goes in to yeah. to operating what even appears to be a pretty small and simple spot yeah oftentimes the staff mentality is like the owners are just like rolling in piles of cash and it's just not really no, we definitely <laughs> not have places the we've, we've never you know not a penny earned yeah you know yeah it's uh less glamorous than people imagine it, it to really be. is it really uh, is. But, you know, it's so like take it if from you, Daniel Wade's day out of the industry. <laughs> no, it's like it's a true labor of love. And we're lucky that we get to do what we do and we come to work. And sometimes your day is like tasting a bunch of dope natural wines. And sometimes it's tasting fun cocktails that are really innovative. But other times it's, yeah, tasting it's failure. Most of the time it's just like, you know, the grind. Like a lot of our places in in Chicago are in super old buildings. Like a lot yeah. of the time, it's just dealing with the building. Yeah, you know, is exactly. a, is a ton. It's yep. It's pretty interesting, but you know, I'm I'm optimistic that the people that are dedicated to hospitality in this city are, are second to none, and I think we'll continue to progress as a as a great food city and a great food destination. You know, I'll just say that me personally, it's that's definitely the toughest part of the business for me. Yeah. yeah. Amen to that. All and right. here's to Chicago. <laughs> here's to Chicago. Chicago. All right, shall we move on to the gratuity round? I think we should. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. All right, wait, are you ready? Sure. You want a sip of water, Lou? All right. Hey, no free ads, Tim. All right. No free ads. Uh, what's your death row meal? Oof, that's... Should have sent these questions ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> Gratuity round, baby, from the hip. Yeah, shoot from the hip. Um, like uh, uh, honestly, probably a, a Cazio a Pepe and a seafood paradia. Wow, know, from, mm, that's a great nice. answer. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, what's the best thing you've eaten this year? A seafood paradia at Elche. Oh, and, nice. Yeah, it was. I mean, just like it was prawns, scallops, lobster tail. It looked incredible in just a cast iron bath mm. of chimichurri butter. Oh, and yeah. yeah, it was, Damn. I mean, it was just about everything that <laughs> we need a field trip. Yeah, yeah, we sure do. Yeah. Go. Shout out John Mannion. That was man. Unreal. Unreal. All right. Cool. What's your favorite old school restaurant? Ooh, favorite old school restaurant. What are we, what are we designating as? It's as interesting. Old Most school? people go, they assume that means Italian, which is a safe bet. But a lot, we've gotten bet. a lot of really old school, like Bruna's was. Uh, yeah, we got Bouchon. I mean, it just depends. Bouchon's great. Yeah, Bouchon's great. It's whatever you feel. Um, yeah, maybe a, a place that hasn't reinvented itself, but you go for the classic charm. I think yeah. Over and a lot of times, it's twenty a, years old. The probably. food is like secondary. It's more like the space and the vibe. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. We don't have to plant all these seeds. <laughs> oh, I'm having a conversation, catching the readers. I'm up. trying to. Can I say love Chaparita? Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Okay. Love it. That's Great. an amazing answer. Great. Chaparita. All right. All Chaparita. Right. Boom. And what's your favorite fast food? Ooh, uh, Taco Bell. And what's your order? I like nachos Belgrande mm. with loads of fire sauce on the top and a cheesy gordita crunch. Ooh, very nice. Give me some of that. Like, like if, I don't know what it is. My dad and I would go to Taco Bell when when I was a kid, and I'd always get nachos Belgrande. Maybe it's like the the sense memory yeah. that like brings you back to it. But yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Cheesy gordita crunch and a nachos Belgrande. Mm. What's your favorite city to photograph? Ooh, or favorite city that you have photographed? My favorite city. Istanbul, honestly. Good answer. Mm, yeah. I mean, those photos are amazing. We'll, have, we'll throw some of those up on the Instagram. Nice. Cool. Uh, what is your go-to cocktail order? Uh, Negroni on the rocks. 
Cool. Classic Negroni. Yeah, classic Negroni. Like an equal parts? No, he goes heavier on the gin. When I make them for myself, I go a little heavier on the gin, but I I usually don't mind however any bartender makes it. All right, cool. That's an easy one. Yeah. And last question. What is something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you? Ooh. Other than making you wait 20 minutes outside. Um, Right, (laughs) right. No, that's only podcast hosts. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, any any sort of unfriendliness, and I and like, unfortunately, that's you know, it's it finds a a place every time. You know, even in our bars, it finds a place every once in a while. Yeah, it's tough to read about. But just general unfriendliness, just you know, the feeling like you're not wanted there. Yeah, that's that's tough for me. It's probably Mm -hmm. my number one too. Now that. Now that I've heard a handful of these. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like the abuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like, I think one of the easiest things you can do in this world is be cool to people. Like that's, yeah. and like usually even when people are shitty, if you're cool to them, they usually diffuse pretty quick. And maybe mm-hmm. that's why I don't have a lot of horror stories, you know, cause I'm, I'm one, I'm not conflict oriented and two, it's just like, be cool to people and they'll usually be cool to you. Yeah. Yeah. You are a low key dude. Appreciate it. Um, I've got, sorry, one last thing, uh, since you are, you know, very sensitive to like design and aesthetic, if you were to plan like a tiny scavenger hunt or a tiny tour around the city of Chicago, as far as like focus on aesthetics and designs, um, if someone had like a morning to kill, let's say, and they want to check some stuff out. Okay. I mean, I'd, I'd like the, the easiest, some of my favorite spaces you can go see like the grand old rooms. Like I, I mean, I know I shoot for Soho House, but I love that old Alice building. That's yeah, like yeah. one of the most beautiful buildings in the West Loop. I'm I'm really stoked with how that design team handled that old building. It's really beautiful. Obviously, you can go to pretty epic spaces like Three Arts that have, you know, oh, yeah. the grand chandeliers and the skylights. That's the RH building, right? The RH yep. building. Yeah. And I mean, like, those are like the most, I guess, like kind of fantastical design places that yeah. like, come into mind. Um, but honestly, like some of my favorite places are like, like, I love, like, this isn't, I don't know why I love the design so much, but like the Charleston and Bucktown, it's just like painted black and has great hi-fi speakers and is yeah. like, honestly, aesthetically one of my most favorite places. No, it's favorite as Decibel yeah. on Milwaukee Avenue. Yeah. That's why they got yeah. the hi-fi. The <laughs> hi-fi is great. Um... For the best tips, just follow him on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. follow, follow, follow me on stuff. Instagram. I yeah, what's the handle? It's Wade with Wade Hall. Cool. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Wade, you're a gent. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, thanks for being here. And that concludes our episode with the charming, delightful Wade McElroy. If you enjoy listening to Joiner's podcast, be sure to subscribe to the pod wherever you listen to your podcast and drop a review if you're so inclined. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at, at Joiner's Pod. We post throwback photos of each guest on Thursdays, and we also have special cocktails that Danny puts together for each guest based on their specific preferences. This episode was edited and mixed by Matt Haddock, and the music was produced by Captain Cuts. We'll see you next week. Thank you.